Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is a master breathwork facilitator. Today's guest is Claudia Nanino. Claudia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And you did wonderful on my last name. <laughs> uh, I, I was hoping I wasn't going to butcher it too bad because uh, people's names <laughs> are really important. So uh, so thank you. Uh, you <laughs> a few times for me before we hit record. So I'm glad I was able to kind of repeat that. So yeah. um, like I said, uh, Claudia, before we kind of got on here, you kind of asked me before uh, I hit record how much I know in terms of, of breath work. Um, very little. Uh, so um, once we kind of get into the depths of uh, your profession and, and what it means to be a master breathwork facilitator, uh, I, I'm really excited to kind of just learn myself. Um, that's something that I really value about these podcast conversations is that for me, uh, I've, I've learned so much. I'm going to continue to learn so much. And then together, as we have a great conversation today, you and I are going to get to share your story and our conversation with the world. And other people along with myself are going to get to learn and be positively impacted. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into your story, excited to dive into um, how you got into breath work and kind of the, the depths uh, of what it means to uh, practice breathing, breath work, and, and all of that. But before we get to that, that point, um, I've got some conversational starters I kind of like to ask all of my guests. So first Great. of all, Claudia, I would like to know, how do you start your day? Is there mm. a specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most days and most mornings? Yeah, well, I would, I'll start off by saying uh, sleep has become a big priority for me. So my sleep hygiene and even the night before, I'm already thinking about the next morning and what time I need to get up. And um, I, not that I'm always doing a great job, but trying to get in bed at the right time so that I can set myself up for a successful morning and a successful day. Um, on, when I'm, my routine is going well and things are flowing, I start the day off with um, yoga. I'll wake up and roll out of bed and go straight to yoga uh, before I do anything else. I, I, I love to practice a, a heated vinyasa practice. Um, I love to enjoy ceremonial cacao. I'm not a coffee drinker, but cacao has been a nice um, alternative to that. It's just a beautiful little ritual. And I, I when I have the opportunity, I'm enjoying it quite frequently. Um, if I don't have the chance to go to yoga, for example, if I have my children and we have to do the school routine, then I try to at least have a few minutes of mindfulness, of intention, of breath. I don't really call it meditation because it's um, a little bit looser than that, but just trying to have a few moments where I'm just checking in with myself, where I'm just kind of scanning the body, scanning my mind, scanning my emotions, and just being really intentional with my breath. Mm. Okay. Now, I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper on like uh, you prioritizing sleep and mm. hygiene and 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 you mentioned even like the night before you're you're kind of prepping for the next day which I I love that intentionality uh, I I, I practice that myself so um, when did sleep become a priority in your life and why and what uh, sleep hygiene are you kind of uh, implementing or working on implementing so that you do sleep better and get higher quality sleep? Mm. I would say it became a priority fairly recently, like within the last year or two, I really started to be, um, pay more attention to it. And I started um, wearing an aura ring. And so that gives me a lot of uh, data in terms of sleep and in terms of rest and what my ideal sleep time is and um, 
how much actual rest I achieved each night. And then I'm able to really be aware of like, oh, wow, you know, I, I made the choice to eat late and I can see how that affected my quality of sleep or, you know, I stayed up for whatever reason. And of course that's really affecting my energy for the next day. So just having that bit of data has made me just a lot more aware of my choices and of my routines and what really makes a difference. Um, I love late night snacking, but I've realized that like it definitely leads to a not so great night of a sleep. So I have to make that conscious choice. Like, is this snack worth it? You know, (laughs) is this little uh, desire to have a little, little treat really going to make sense the next day when I know it's going to potentially affect the quality of my rest. So again, yes, I think I've been wearing the ring now for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. um, And just love kind of being more informed about my sleep than I had ever really, I hadn't really thought about it before. You know, I knew like maybe around seven or eight hours was ideal, but now it's like very specific. I know exactly what sets me up for success for the next day. Very cool. Okay. Um, you can, you can, uh, for, we've got a, a, the next few questions. If there's more than one, feel free to share. I, I don't want to limit it to just one, but, um, it says for our next question, uh, what's your favorite book or podcast? Uh, again, if there's more than one, if there's 10, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my favorite book is a fictional book called Diana herself. And it's about a woman who, um, essentially goes through a spiritual awakening and it's, it's fiction slash, I don't want to say fantasy, but, um, there's definitely parts of the book that don't typically happen in your regular day life, but I've read it, I think two or three times I've gifted it at least 20 times. And every, every person who I've gifted it to has been blown away by this book. It's just um, a really beautiful story uh, just about a woman discovering herself and, and really tapping into spirituality and, and, and something greater than herself. And it was gifted to me in a moment where I was going through um, some challenge and I was learning a lot by myself and I was struggling. And uh, this woman who is a dear friend and a mentor gift saw that I could benefit from reading this book and gave it to me. And it was quite impactful. And I have since passed that gift forward many times. Um, And then in terms of a podcast, I listened to quite a few, I would say my top two favorite ones and the ones that I like, I'm always super consistent with and listen to on the day it's released or within a a day or two at most um, is the Aubrey Marcus podcast and then uh, shameless sex and shameless sex was started by, um, a friend of mine, more of like a friend of a friend, but she's also a friend. And so I've been listening to that one since the beginning and it's just so informative and so educational. Uh, and I think about an important topic that everybody should be learning more about and, and be more comfortable speaking about. Um, and then the Aubrey Marcus podcast, you know, I, I oftentimes wonder where, how that landed in my field. I don't know if it was recommended to me or if I stumbled across it. Cause it's been so many years now that I've been listening to it, but, um, I just love his content and his guests and his topics. And sometimes he's controversial. You know, I don't agree with everything that he says, but there are a lot of speakers and topics that he brings on that I'm like very grateful to connect with and to learn about. Okay. Um, what life lesson have you been taught in the last year or uh, in recent times? I know for some of us who are very open to learning all the time, uh, we probably learned something today, right? Or maybe it was yeah. just last week. So please don't limit it 
uh, to, you know, like a year ago or whatever. Yeah. It's just something maybe within the last week, that's fine. But just within yeah. recent times, uh, what have you learned or been taught, Claudia? Um, something that's come up multiple times within the last year, but even further than that, and obviously it's something that I'm still working on and the lesson that still needs to be learned is just the importance of um, kind of slowing down and having spaciousness in my life. I tend to be somebody who overschedules, who overbooks, who overcommits. Um, and usually it works out, but at the cost of my own energy and the cost of my own well-being. You know, I'm, I'm definitely somebody that when I commit to something, I honor that. I honor my word, but I'm trying to be really much more mindful in what I'm saying yes to and practicing saying no more and more um, because there's so many things I want to do. But uh, when I get to that place where I'm starting to feel really burnt out like it's not worth it you know so that is a lesson that keeps coming up and and sometimes it comes up in the sense of like I mean I've had COVID three times now and each time has been in a moment in my life where I'm over scheduled to the max and I don't think it's a coincidence that I get sick and then I'm forced to clear out my whole schedule and sit at home for a week or two because usually it hits me pretty hard and I'm generally I'm a very healthy person but that's the one illness that that takes me down and uh each time I'm like, okay, I can see why this happened right now. Like my schedule was to the max and I would, wasn't giving myself any breathing room. And now I'm forced to take this, uh, this rest and forced to slow down and forced to um, just chill for a while. And it's always so beneficial. And it gives me like, you know, as much as I don't want to be unhealthy or unwell, like it always gives me a reset. And then I start to um take that energy and take that theme and that lesson and move it forward. And so it does a constant balance, um, but something that keeps coming up, uh, but I'm getting better and better at it. Now, do you feel like uh, one of the reasons maybe that you overschedule and, and kind of run yourself into the ground, is it because, you know, you, you just, you're like a, you know, a, a people pleaser or have you, have you gone into the depths of thinking why, uh, even though, you know, like, Hey, I, I know this probably isn't going to be good for me in the long run in terms of, you know, scheduling this or scheduling that, but, but you do it anyways. Like, have you kind of thought about that or dug a little bit deeper in terms of why maybe you fall into that at times? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's not so much people pleasing. It's more, uh, a sense of like needing to overachieve, needing to prove myself. It definitely ties into my self-worth. Like if I'm successful in all these areas, if I'm accomplishing all these things, then I feel more worthy of love. Like if we're going to get real deep, that's what it boils down to. It's like a deep, um, you know, childhood desire to be seen, to be loved. And so I feel like I have to do it all in order to, um, or that's something that I'm unlearning. I, I see that that was the pattern and that was the the desire and the need. And that's why I have this habit of always being busy. Um, part of it is also, and I'm sure we're going to get into this when we talk about my background, but I come from immigrant parents, you know, so I, um, who had incredible work ethics and worked their uh, butts off in order to provide my brother and I with the life that they didn't have and that they wanted for us. And so that was instilled in me from a young age is that like, you got to work hard and you always have to be careful with your money and you always have to make really good choices. Um, and so that's been uh, a habit and pattern that um, has served me. Honestly, there's a lot of good has come from that. You know, I did, I, I went to college and I had a great career and 
there's a lot of things that um, resulted positively from that desire to constantly be achieving and doing and succeeding. Um, but there's a shadow side to that as well, of course. Um, and that's what we're talking about with like the burnout and the overcommitting. And um, there's a, this thought of like how busyness, keeping yourself too busy also helps you. Um, it's a form of distraction, you know, it, it like if you're not sitting down and being quiet, then you're not having to sit in some of the uncomfortable feelings that might be there because you're too busy and you're just going and going. And there's a lot of truth to that as well. Like by being so busy, I don't give myself the chance to feel lonely, you know, and that's something that I've been working on and um, trying to be more comfortable with, you know, and trying to um, learn to sit in those uncomfortable feelings and not have to be busy in order to avoid them. Excellent. Love that. Okay. <clears throat> Do you have a favorite? Plus I'm a Capricorn and the Capricorns are like, <laughs> they're all about like work and money and focus and projects and ambition and drive. So that's, that's part of it too. I know that for sure. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word, Claudia? Oh yeah. Um, I love the Ho'oponopono prayer. Are you familiar with that? I, I am not. Yeah. It's a, it's a Hawaiian, um, mantra slash prayer uh and it's i'm sorry please forgive me thank you i love you and the the premise is generally like whenever there's any kind of conflict or you know something is going awry if you can just come back to those phrases in in any situation like how much um good it would do you know and how it brings like love and caring and compassion into any situation into anything any kind of um how it helps achieve resolution by just apologizing, owning your part, accountability, asking for forgiveness, bringing in some gratitude, and then just wrapping it up with love. So I love, I come back to that idea often, um, especially if I'm struggling with any interpersonal relationships. Can, can you repeat that uh, prayer one more time, please? Yeah, it's the Ho'oponopono prayer. And it's, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Hmm. Perfect. All right. Beautiful. Okay. Um, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dive into your, uh, your, uh, uh, childhood, your, your backstory mm -hmm. here, Claudia, and kind of start working our way through the evolution of, of, of you, of who you are, uh, where you've been and, and where you're going. So would you please share with myself and all the listeners, uh, where you actually like physically grew up? Uh, you mentioned uh, your parents a little bit already, but uh, just talk about your childhood, talk about uh, the influence that your parents did have, or maybe they didn't have too much of an influence on you. Uh, was there anybody else in your childhood, teacher, coach, uh, somebody maybe in, in that uh, regard that uh, positively or maybe even negatively impacted you uh, when you were younger? Um, just walk us through up to about high school. And then once you get to high school, we'll stop because we'll transition from there. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was born in Denver uh, and raised in Denver. And that's where I am now. I did. I have moved away for some time as an adult, but born and raised here. Um, my parents, my father's from Italy and my mother was from Peru. And they both happened to come to Colorado in their 30s and they met and fell in love and got married and decided to have children. Uh, and so it made for a really 
beautiful and yet kind of different upbringing than my peers. You know, I was very lucky to be exposed to both of those cultures, to both of those cuisines, to both of the languages. Um, I remember growing up in Colorado thinking that uh, it was so diverse here and it's actually not very diverse in Denver, but because of my family and the social circles that we ran in, which were primarily Hispanic immigrants, um, I, I had this belief that there was a very, there was a ton of diversity because that's what I, what I knew. Um, and, you know, as I said, my parents pretty much came from nothing and, and worked so hard and, and to provide for us and, and to, you know, constant, we moved around a lot, but we we're always moving into something bigger, a better neighborhood, a bigger house, a better school. And so there was a lot of moves. I think I counted once that we moved like 11 times before second grade, which is quite a bit. Um, and I don't remember all those moves necessarily having a negative impact on me, although I'm sure it must have like that, that's not probably at a subconscious level it did, but that's not something that's like at the forefront of my mind or of my healing journey. Um, however, all those moves were done in order to give us something better to, to, to provide us with a better um, space and a better home and a better life. And uh, one thing that was so challenging and, and different from my notice to my American peers is just the way my parents showed love, you know, they showed love by providing, providing food and safety and shelter um, and, and working. And uh, they didn't grow up in environments where love was expressed through words or necessarily through physical affection. And so that, um, you know, they did their best, of course. And that was definitely something that I felt was lacking that I, I wanted to hear it more. I wanted to feel it more through, through physical touch. Um, and also it, it felt a little bit challenging uh, to be understood by them, you know, because they came from different countries with very different backgrounds. They were older when they had me as well. You know, they were 37 years old when they had me. So those two things um, just kind of created a lot of rigidity in the home and a lot of um, what I would consider a very strict upbringing, especially compared to my peers. So that was always very challenging as well as like comparing the rules that I had to abide by compared to what it felt like no rules that my friends had and so struggling with those. And so that made for an interesting upbringing, you know, and, and just not feeling very understood by my parents. Um, and not that I necessarily blamed them for it, but I just knew that they just, they couldn't understand me. You know, I was being, I, I was exposed to a totally different life and totally different lifestyle than they had ever known or could even comprehend. And so that made for an interesting childhood. And I think um, pretty early on, I learned that like for better or for worse to uh, start keeping a lot of secrets, you know, like that felt like, oh, you know, they're not, I'm not allowed to spend the night ever. Um, I mean, and I couldn't get around that rule ever, but there was like things that I'm like, well, you know, I was probably not as honest as I should have been as a child because I just felt like they were going to say no. <laughs> And so I would not, you know, there wasn't a ton of opportunity for being too deceitful, but um, I certainly felt like I couldn't be very honest and open with them because they just couldn't understand and they would shut it down or they would say no. And so that's really something I've been working through and trying to kind of unlearn as I'm a mother now myself, like wanting to have a different relationship with my children. Hmm. What was uh, the expectation in your home in terms of education and school? I've had a lot of, uh, you know, guess on that, you know, are immigrants themselves or have a similar background to you. And uh, usually uh, 
you know, education is, is highly stressed and, you know, you're expected yeah. to become a doctor or a dentist or something mm -hmm. uh, in that regard. So what was education uh, in terms of the expectation in your home for you growing up, Claudia? I mean, it was a huge priority and, and it was, there was no question that we had to get good grades and study hard. Um, and there was a big um, expectation that those good grades would then translate to us being able to go to college or to university because there was never any talk of us not going to university. Um, but also we understood that like finances were going to be a potential barrier. So um, I always knew that I had to keep my grades high and my achievements high and also work part-time in order to save up money to be able to pay for school. Okay. Now um, you kind of mentioned that uh, there was a lack of, uh, you know, like affection from your mom and your dad, right? When you were growing up and mm -hmm. you wish that they and were mostly my dad, you know? Yeah. What's that? I said most more for my dad than for my mom, but yeah. Okay. Um, so in that regard, did you try to find that affection, um, in other places? Like when you were younger, like, uh, when you started getting into your tweens or teens, or did you kind of refrain from that and just kind of like accept, uh, you know, Hey, this is mom and dad. And this is just kind of the way life is, uh, if you don't mind touching on that. Oh yeah. No, I mean, that definitely had an impact on my teenage years and even adult years. And it's something that I've had to like examine and unpack is definitely trying to, um, the amount of importance I put on, uh, receiving love and validation externally versus getting it internally. It's, it wasn't something that, um, I learned until it really kind of within the like last five to seven years, um, learning to kind of switch that and trying to just fill my own cup and, and fill, have really focused on my own self-love. Like for a long time, I've been looking for that external, um, kind of affirmation and validation. Okay. So, uh, when you were in high school, uh, what were those years kind of like for you? Were they, uh, pretty smooth? Were they tumultuous? Uh, what were you like when you were a teenager specifically in those four years of high school? I mean, a little bit of everything. My Luckily, school came easy to me. And so my grades were always strong. Um, but it was that kind of constant battle with my parents of trying to have some independence and have a life that um, seemed more similar to what my, my peers were doing and the freedoms that they had. Um, you know, if you ask my parents, they would say that high school was really tough. Like we had a really challenging time that we were butting heads. Um, I was getting in trouble a lot, uh, especially for their standards. You know, I think if you compared me to other families, it wasn't so bad, but for what they, they what they were hoping for and what they expected, like we struggled, you know, we, we butted heads quite a bit, you know, in terms of like me wanting to date and them not feeling comfortable with that. And, um, I got a tattoo early on and they were so horrified. And, you know, I was hanging out with kids that like would be considered, you know, more alternative and who were into different things and looked different ways. And they were, you know, shocked by all of that. And, uh, my best friend was gay and they hadn't been exposed to too many gay people. You know, there was a lot of, stuff that I was just like bringing to them hard and fast and they were doing their best, but also not really able to adapt and handle it. And so, yeah, we struggled. High school years were really challenging um, in terms of our relationship between 
um, uh, between my parents, you know, and my mom and I, um, and it's funny, I don't remember this so much, but she's told me multiple times that there were like years that she was like, Oh, I thought, I thought I lost you. You know, I thought like our relationship was broken and it wasn't going to come back. And thank God it did, you know, thank God, like we turned a corner and it, I, I don't remember it being that hard, but she tells me, she's told me multiple times that like, it was really challenging. Mm. Now, um, in terms of uh, sports or extracurricular uh, type activities, were you involved in anything like that when you were uh, younger? Not really. I mean, a little bit in middle school, but there wasn't, uh, I was never into sports or that athletic. It just wasn't my thing. My brother was more on that path. You know, I did uh, always enjoy snowboarding, but even that I didn't really start to get into until I was more 17, 18 and later and beyond. So um, I was working, like I started working when I was 14. Um, I got my first part-time job and I never stopped working after that, you know, so earning money for my own uh, life and, and, you know, whatever needs I had at that age, you know, food, shopping, whatever it was, <laughs> entertainment, um, I had to supply it myself, you know, that was not something my parents were funding. So um, I worked a lot and pretty early on. Okay. Was there any? Yeah, and I was baby. I was actually babysitting as of twelve. So I, I was, I was doing a lot of babysitting between twelve and fourteen, and then fourteen, I started working, um, outside the home. You know, at a, at a, at a shop, at an alteration shop, was my first job. <laughs> um, was, was there any type of uh, uh, religious influence on you when you were growing up? Did your parents uh, identify, you know, like as Catholic or some sort of mm -hmm. some sort of religion and? How did that kind of, uh, you know, steer you uh, when you were younger? Yeah, so I was raised um, Catholic, Roman Catholic specifically, both my parents for that. Uh, and it was a big part of life growing up. Like, it was just part of our routine. We would go to church every Sunday. You know, we would go to church on the big holidays. Um, I went through uh, First Communion and um, Confirmation. Uh, and... You know, I didn't necessarily resist religion entirely, but there were definitely a lot of parts of it that I was like, oh, I don't agree with this. Uh, and I knew pretty early on that I'm like, I, I don't agree with certain parts of it. There's there's a lot that I'm fine with, you know, and I, and I do kind of like the story and I like the, you know, the different morals and values that are coming through all of that, um, all of those tales. But there were a lot of things that I just firmly did not agree with and I could kind of co compartmentalize it I'm like well whatever it, you know this is just old-fashioned this is antiquated like even though this is what I'm being told I'm very clear that I can pick and choose what I'm going to take with me what I'm going to believe what is going to be a part of my life so um I always considered myself to be spiritual but it wasn't until like really seven years ago did I understand like what that meant and really started to um prioritize that yeah. and so I don't practice Catholicism anymore um I don't I don't subscribe to any specific religion but uh I do consider myself to be extremely spiritual deeply spiritual right. I should say <laughs> so um when you were kind of in high school uh getting close to you know maybe you know uh graduating or maybe it was going into your senior year uh, did did your parents have some sort of expectation for you in terms of what they wanted you to do or be when you graduated from high school and when you quote unquote grew up? 
And how did that yeah. compare to the direction you wanted to go uh, when you were in high school and the direction that you ended up taking post high school? Yeah. So from a, a young age, I wanted to be a doctor and that wasn't something that my parents um, instilled, but they absolutely loved the idea and of course supported. And so every, you know, as, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to help others. I wanted to help others heal. And um, my high school was planned all around that. You know, I, I took some like advanced courses that allowed me to become a certified nurse's assistant during high school. So for the last two years, I was working as a certified nurse's assistant um, for in hospitals and in home healthcare agencies. So I was like so committed to this path of healthcare. And that was the um, the first job I could get in the space at that age, you know, at 17, 18 years old. Uh, and then, um, so they were excited about that, 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 that was sounded wonderful to them. And then when I got to college, uh, freshman year, you know, living in the dorms, having my first taste of freedom, you know, not having to live with the curfew and the rules and all the structure and being able to choose where and when and who I wanted um, to, to, to be with and hang out with and spend time with. And uh, pre I was pre-med in college, but I was not putting in the time to study. Like, even though schooling always came easy to me, like now all of a sudden the courses were significantly harder and required a minimum amount of studying. And I wasn't doing it. I was having too much fun. I was enjoying the freedom. I was enjoying the new community and the new space and just like coming into myself. And so I realized, I think by like my second or third trimester that I wasn't failing, but I was getting like B's um, and a couple C's. And I was like, that's, I'm not going to make it into med school with these grades. And so I like, I had to make that decision. Like, am I going to be able to turn this around? Like, is this really what I want? Do I want to commit the level of work that I'm going to need to do in order to continue this dream? Or do I have to let this dream go? And I let it go. And I decided to um, switch to an international business degree with an emphasis in marketing. Um, and, you know, looking back, I think my parents probably were, I mean, they were disappointed, but also they were just wanting me to commit to something and like wanting me, for them, it was more important that I completed the degree rather than what the degree was in. And so they just didn't want me to like stop going to school. So we're supportive of the pivots. Um, didn't really know what I would do with that degree, but felt like it was at least a good foundation and something to commit to. And with my international background and my language, I speak Italian and Spanish and a little bit of French. Like it just felt like, okay, this might make more sense. Um, but I do remember mourning that decision, like having at that point, you know, having wanted to be a doctor for 15 plus years, even though I was a child for most of those years, like had become part of my identity and my story so it was a big deal for me to to make that decision and to change directions hmm. what did you uh go to college for your undergraduate studies where or what yeah i went to the university of denver i stayed in colorado you know i had these big dreams i was going to move to new york um and i didn't i i wanted to go to nyu and i missed the application deadline and so um, I was like, well, I'm just going to go, I'll, I'll apply to the University of Denver and maybe I'll transfer after a year or two. Uh, and then I ended up loving the school so much that uh, I didn't move to, to New York until after I had graduated. What, for, for uh, your time at the University of Denver, uh, Claudia, 
um, just, you know, being in college, what, what, what's like your takeaway or wrap up in terms of college? Like, you know, you mentioned you, you were enjoying the freedom, you were enjoying, you know, staying out as late as you wanted all that. Um, when you look back on those, uh, years at the university of Denver, what do you kind of like uh, say in terms of wrapping those years up, um, for your growth, your maturity, uh, things of that nature? You know, I think, um, looking back, I appreciated the education that I got and I, and I loved the experience. Um, sometimes I wish I would have picked something, you know, back then I was still under the mindset that like, you have to pick a degree that's relevant, that's applicable to the job force that is going to set you up for such this amazing career, you know? And now I have a totally different understanding and I'm like, I could have studied something that maybe I was more passionate about something that like lit me up, something that like, um, taught me more or allowed me maybe to be a little bit more creative or something like that, you know, just something that involved more passion. I wasn't like that degree has served me well, don't get me wrong, but at no point was I like passionate about economics and like, you know, whatever we were studying, like I was learning it because I needed to learn it, but not because I felt like really excited about the content. There were some of the courses that I appreciated, especially when it came to more of the international type things. I've always loved anything that had to do with, with the world outside of the United States. But um, I think had I picked something that I was more passionate about, I probably would have put more effort into it as well and, and, and gotten more out of it, you know, but I, I reflect back on that time is really positive and um, I think it was good just for my maturity as well, because I did have that moment in the beginning where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm free. I can go wild. This is crazy. But like, that doesn't work for very long either, you know? And so then having to be like, okay, I've gone a little too free. Like, where's the balance, you know, where's the balance of like being independent and making my own choices and deciding how I want to live my life. Um, but still, you know, getting a degree was important to me as well. And so I was like, I still want to be successful at this. I don't want to fail here. So um, it taught me discipline. You know, there was actually a time, wow, I haven't thought about this in a really long time, but I had to um, pause schooling for uh, a trimester because part of that going wild is I had racked up a bunch of credit card debt <laughs> and my parents didn't know, you know, I took out a credit card under my own name and I started spending and it started financing all my fun and my shopping. And next thing I knew, I think I was like $8,000 in debt, which was a lot for a 19 year old or 18 or 19 year old. Um, and of course my parents were greatly disappointed by that. And so plan was, okay, you got to pause school. You got to work your ass off. You got to move home back home, which was like devastating. I did not want to move back home. Um, but I had to, you know, they're like, we're not, you, you can't, if you're trying to pay off this debt, you can't have like rent and utilities and all that stuff. So I had to move back home you know, for, I think it was like, I don't, I don't remember how many months it was. It was definitely a trimester of school plus maybe some summer months. And I worked three jobs and I paid it off. And so as, as miserable as I, and I went back to school, you know, I re-enrolled as soon as I could. And as miserable as that time was, like it definitely taught me a lot about discipline and consequences mm -hmm. and finances, you know, and like I had to grow up pretty quickly um, having to have, having to clean up those mistakes that I made. So mm. that I feel that, I, that, you know, that's an important part of that time in my life, those four years. Um, 
I also studied abroad, which was amazing. And I, I recommend to everyone. And like, I'm so excited for my children to go to college to see where they could study abroad. I mean, I want them to spend their whole four years abroad, but at least can we get a semester or a year? And I think that's really valuable too, you know, living in another culture, um, whether or not you're exposed to another language, just like uh, the, how much that helps you kind of just grow and evolve and, and just be more worldly. Now we're going to kind of get into everything that you're you're in right now uh, as an adult. Yeah. But was there any type of like health, fitness, um, self improvement type pursuits when you were, uh, you know, your in, in your teens or in your early twenties, or did that come in uh, later on in your life? Definitely later on in my life. That was not something that was kind of that I was really paying attention to, you know, it's kind of a little bit, had a little bit of awareness around diet and nutrition, because of course I think every teenage girl like wants to be thinner than they are. And my mom and I used to do these Jane Fonda workout VHS tapes in the living room, you know, but we weren't very committed, but every once in a while we'd get on a roll with it. <laughs> so, um, like health and, and mindfulness and like, you know, self-care and none of that stuff was really coming into play yet. Like, um, if anything, maybe from a superficial level, you know, I might've been getting like facials and stuff, but that was more just because of, um, again, not true self-care, but more external trying to tend to look a certain way and feel a certain way. Um, I did find yoga. I'm, you know, I think I found yoga shortly after college, uh, but I didn't start it for like the wellness benefits. It was more just like a, a form of exercise. I considered it a form of exercise that I enjoyed, you know, and it wasn't after I had done it for years that I started being like, wow, this is actually like so beautiful for my mental health. Um, and, 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 and now it's really become an important part of my, my routine and my self-care. But um, early on, it was just like a, a rare form of exercise that I actually found enjoyable because I was not somebody to like jog. I hated jogging. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that wasn't me early on. Okay. You know, I do think early on, and, and this is a bit of a vulnerable share, but um, now as an adult and, and where I am in my life, I do love exploring altered states of consciousness. And there's a lot of different ways to get there. Uh, and I think I was, you know, um, I was partying a lot as a, as a high school and in college. Uh, but I oftentimes think like, I think I was searching for something, you know, and it, it didn't necessarily wasn't in the healthiest ways. Um, and I wasn't necessarily getting that spiritual experience from it. But I think those were like early attempts of just trying to find something more and like get outside of my ego and outside of my everyday way of thinking and, and, and just like explore more and understand more. So it wasn't with that intention by any means, but I do see like a correlation with the behavior back then and like, and, and, and where life is now. Okay. So once you graduated from uh, college in uh, Denver, uh, where did life mm -hmm. take you, Claudia? Yeah. So I had uh, met uh, the man who would become my husband. We had met in our last year of college and um, I had told him, you know, I'm moving to New York one day. That was just like a dream that I'd had since I was a kid. And I was like, uh, you know, we can date, but I am moving to New York. So either you come with me or just know that we've got like an expiration date. And he was like, 
yeah, I'll go with you. That sounds great. And so we dated for a couple of years, um, saved up some money, moved. But during that couple of years too, I got my first job out of college. Um, and I remember how, I remember thinking how hard it was to find that first job. Like I was applying at a lot of different places and just like kind of assuming like, oh, my degree is going to just open up all these doors. Um, but not really realizing or, or being or lacking the awareness of the fact that like, I really didn't have much experience, even though I had been working since I was 14. I mean, those skills weren't really going to translate to the types of jobs that I was applying for. Um, and I remember feeling kind of like stressed and almost a little bit desperate. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm applying for all these amazing jobs, jobs that I think I'd be really good at. And I'm not getting very far. I'm not either not getting callbacks or not making it very, very, you know, too far into the interview process. And so that was interesting. I finally got a job through a temp agency that placed me at a nonprofit um, that ended up being a great position that transitioned into a full-time position. Um, that was a great first job. And I was there for two years. Um, they were um, an interpretation and translation agency. They also had immigration attorney services and also helped um, immigrant domestics or Im immigrant victims of domestic violence. And so um, it was actually a great cause and uh, a job that I really, because it was a nonprofit, you know, we were very lean on staff. And so then I was able to get some pretty senior skills under my belt only because there was nobody else to do them, you know, and we all had to just like wear a lot of hats. Um, and it was awesome. It was a great uh start to my career but then we made the move to New York and again was having a trouble finding job um, and again went the route of uh, working with temp agencies and getting placed at different um, temporary positions and hoping that that would lead to a permanent role and it eventually did and um, I was uh, a marketing coordinator for a construction consulting firm and then interestingly enough a, a friend of college a friend of mine from college who was also in New York, who was running um, an advertising, an international advertising sales um, firm, recruited me. And he was like, I think you would be good at this. And I had this idea that sales, I was like, oh no, sales is like, all I could think of was like, you know, cheesy um, used car sales guy. And like, I'm not knocking that profession whatsoever, but you know, there was a, there was a definitely a, um, an assumption as to what sales had to be. And it, it, I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not that I'm not pushy. I'm not aggressive. I'm not um, any of those things that I think a salesperson is. And he was like, no, I think you'd be really good at this. Like this is international. This is global. We're talking, we're working with publications in other languages. You speak other languages. Like, I think you're going to knock this out of the park. And he convinced me to come over to his firm. And then that like really launched my career. You know, I um, started at this tiny agency and then was able to use that to, to then transition to the Wall Street Journal where I worked for six years. Um, and that was an amazing part of my career. And all of a sudden just kind of catapulted um, our life and our, our quality of life and how much money we were making. And, you know, being in your late 20s, and early 30s, working at the Wall Street Journal with an unlimited expense account, like mm -hmm. whining and dining, their biggest clients was like so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Um, and then, yeah, that kind of kicked off my career in, in advertising sales, which I did for a while. Like I did, I probably had that career for 10 years maybe before I transitioned into where I am now. And um, it was fun and I was successful at it and it was lucrative. Um, yeah.
Now, <laughs> you you mentioned, uh, you know, like when you were in your undergraduate studies, like, and, and things like that, kind of like searching for more, right? Uh, mm. Now, you mentioned, obviously, being a part of the Wall Street Journal and kind of like the... Uh, the opportunity there, that's like kind of like a, you, you could easily say a dream job or an opportunity of a lifetime, um, mm -hmm. making great money and, you know, family and all this stuff, being in New York where you've kind of always dreamt of being, but during mm -hmm. that time, were you still searching for something? Was there still an emptiness, even though you were quote unquote on the outside successful? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but looking back, I can see it, you know, um, even though I had a great job and I had a great life and I had a great partner, um, there was um, needs that were not being met. You know, there was um, still kind of an unconscious feeling of um, being unlovable, being unworthy. Um, I was still constantly kind of seeking um, validation or seeking um, just trying to have my needs met, but just in unhealthy ways. You know, I talked about this expense account, like, yeah, it was amazing to be able to wine and dine people and not having to pay for it. But what that meant with that also the, the shadow side of that was that I was going out sometimes three or four nights a week, late nights, drinking hard. Um, and it was part of my job. So I was like, Oh, this is so great. Like, this is socially acceptable. And like, look how fun my life is. But it was like, meh. I, that's when I started to really develop an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, and when I started to, um, you know, I was making good money, but I was also like spending too much money. You know, I, I started to, um, I've heard this term that hasn't gained too much traction, but has always resonated with me and, and it's called a spread addiction. And it's where you don't really have one thing that's like you're out of control with, or that's taking you down, but you've got an unhealthy relationship with multiple vices, with multiple things. And so I can look back at that time in my life. Um, and I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Um, I didn't have a great relationship with drugs. I was, didn't have a great relationship with money. I was overspending. I didn't have a great relationship with food. I was like overeating or like starving myself, you know, like not, I'm not eating disorder status, but definitely just like not healthy. Um, not making healthy choices. And then even in terms of my relationship and like love and sex, like things were just complicated and just like, I was just not happy and just, you know, again, looking for um, that, that validation and that affirmation and like trying to feel worthy uh, and, and choosing all these different kind of harmful coping mechanisms in order to try to just find happiness. Hmm. So, um, there, there, there's always, uh, I don't know if you want to use the terminology, uh, breaking point, but there's always hmm. in our lives, usually more than one, either a breaking point or, um, you know, a, a pivotal experience that kind of, uh, wakes us up, so to speak. So yes. would you, Claudia, kind of begin to unpack your breaking point or, that experience or experiences that kind of quote unquote woke you up, if you don't mind kind of uh, sharing that a part of your story with us. Yeah, definitely. So um, I was spending years uh, in that kind of spread addiction phase and just kind of balancing all these different vices and, and from an outward perspective, looking happy, looking successful, looking like very highly functioning in all the areas, but 
um, slowly and, and I wasn't aware of it, but I can see it now when I look back, like things were just deteriorating and getting worse and I was getting unhappier and just making worse and worse choices. Um, and I eventually, um, cheated on my husband and, uh, that was happening for a while. And then, um, when that was discovered and uncovered, like that was the breaking point. Like all of a sudden everything was exposed. All of a sudden, all my choices were under the spotlight and um, I could no longer be in this wild place of kind of like denial that I had been living in for a long time. Um, and I had to, to be accountable and face the consequences for my decisions. Um, that spurred, you know, our marriage ending and a move back to, Colorado, which I was resistant about in the beginning because I was like, well, I don't know about my career and I have no friends and this is going to be so hard. But in looking back was like the best decision um, we could have made because I just needed a change and I needed to start life all over. Um, And that's what really that that whole incident is what really just kind of spurred um, this this pivot in my life. Like I, I was I was hating myself for where I had gotten for my choices. Um, I didn't understand how I had allowed myself to get to that place. Uh, I dove deep into therapy. Uh, I dove deep into group work and step work. Um, I made a lot of significant choices and changes in my life and um, started to learn a lot about like myself and and who I was and and reflecting back on my childhood and my upbringing and seeing kind of how everything just kind of tied together and and really what the core of it was like just feeling unloved and trying to and not ever thinking about like my self-love or or how can I love myself or how can I feel full within it was just like all this how everything in my life had just taught me to just search for love externally and how that was never going to work. You know, there was never any scenario where that was going to be successful. Um, and then it all imploded. And, you know, starting with the more traditional modalities of healing and, and understanding myself and therapy was so, so valuable. Um, but then started to veer pretty quickly into non-traditional modalities. You know, I uh, was invited to, um, or my best friend shared a retreat with me. And he was like, I really think this will be helpful for you. Because I was just struggling so much with the inability to forgive myself. Um, I was carrying around so much guilt and so much shame, um, believing that everybody hated me and I deserved to be hated. And he was like, you should go on this retreat. And I looked into it thinking, oh, is this like a yoga retreat? What is this? And it was um, a plant medicine retreat and they were working with psychedelics. And that really scared me. I was like, oh, this is not, you know, I've, I've dabbled in this when I was younger recreationally. It's never something I've even considered to, to do from a, um, health standpoint or a, a you know a, a mental health standpoint and he wasn't pressuring by any means but he's like I just think I have this feeling that this would be really good for you and so I considered it and then um my best friend eventually said what if I went with you you know would that make you feel more comfortable and I was like yes 100% let's do this and that um was a really pivotal moment in my life like it was very uh you know and I don't think psychedelics are for everyone but I do feel like that was came to me at the right time and just really got me deep within myself and really started to show me like why I deserve to forgive myself and like 
why self-love would be so important and also gave me a deeper connection with my spirit what would become my spirituality and just like really connecting with with things outside of myself and in a in a healthy way in a productive way um and then yeah I started that's the path of all of working with different teachers and different healers and different experiences and retreats and 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 more plant medicines uh and that's what led me to breath work you know, I, I had signed up, I was at that point signing up for everything, you know, sound healing, um, Kundalini yoga, you know, anything that somebody was like, you should try this. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Like I will try every, anything. because I just want to heal myself and heal my broken heart and, and forgive myself. That was my goal. I want to be able to forgive myself and I can't, I can't do it. It doesn't, it's not, it's out of reach. It's not authentic. It doesn't feel, um, real to me. And, uh, I, I signed up for breathwork thinking it was going to be more of like a self-care practice, like a beautiful, relaxing meditation. And it was not that, not this style of breathwork specifically was not that. And um, I had such a profound experience that first time. And I was shocked at what we could do just by breathing in a certain way. And I moved through so much emotion in that single session that for the first time afterwards, I felt like one step closer to forgiveness. And I was like, this is the, of all the things that I'm doing and all the different teachers and, and, and tools that I'm working with. This is the first thing that's brought forgiveness closer. Um, it doesn't feel so out of reach. And so I knew that it was going to be an important part of my life. And I also wanted to be able to train and offer it to other people. Like I knew that after that first time, like I want to be able to share this with the world um, and dove into the, the practice with my teacher and also um, started an apprenticeship pretty shortly after that. And yeah, that's breath work is what helped me finally forgive myself. I remember the moment that it happened, like that, that freedom, that rush of just compassion and love and understanding and acceptance and like how important that was, you know, to my, to my healing. Like I could not, I was stuck. I was stuck in self-loathing. Uh, and it was breath work that got me unstuck and like finally feeling more whole and finally feeling like I could love all aspects of myself, including the the parts of myself that from a deep place of hurt was making really hurtful choices and, and hurting others with my choices. Um, so yeah, breathwork became a jam. Okay. So why don't you uh, lead us into kind of like um, where you're at today in terms of being a master breathwork facilitator? What does that look like? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And kind of expound on the depths of breath work uh like yeah what does what does that even mean like what does it mean yeah have a breath exactly practice <laughs> whatever i don't even know the proper terminology so just yeah. go, go deep with us if you don't mind on all that yeah no i'd love to um so breath work is a generic term for whenever you are being intentional with your breath if you're choosing to breathe through your nose versus your mouth if you're choosing to um count or breathe you know, through one nostril or the other, like whenever you're deciding how to breathe, that's breath work. There are a lot of um, techniques that are ancient, you know, forms of pranayama, which is an element of yoga or forms of um, of Tai Chi or Qigong, you know, they're using breath, they're, they're tapping into breath and certain techniques to achieve certain benefits of the body. There's this amazing study in Japan that um, has been able to measure that with as few as six intentional breaths, they can already see an improvement to your blood pressure. Um, they can see an improvement to the alkalinity of your blood, which is tied to your stress levels and your stress hormones. And so the type of breath work that I facilitate, which is called conscious breath work, you know, we're breathing 
hundreds of times, if not thousands of times intentionally. So I'm always telling people like at a bare minimum, you're doing something really wonderful for the body. You know, breath is arguably our most important system. Um, you know, food, we can go days, maybe a week without water. We can go maybe a couple of days without breath. It's minutes. And, and then, and then, and that's it, you know, it's, it's so essential to us. And there's so much benefit available by, being aware of your breath um, by making certain changes um, in, into the habits you might have. There's this awesome book called Breath, The Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor, and I recommend it to everybody. Uh, and you don't have to be into breath work to appreciate the information that this uh, man shares, that he talks, kind of gathers all of the research and the data and the history um, and breaks down like the fact that a lot of us have some really bad habits when it comes to our breathing and some simple changes that we can make um, that can have a dramatic impact on our health and our well-being and our um, and how we feel and how we show up and even in our rest. So I highly recommend that book. But um, yeah, there are t shorter techniques that you can do for like a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes. I consider those to be more like kind of guided meditation, but more of an active meditation that incorporates breath. And those are beautiful. And um, sometimes you can, you know, whether you want to relax, whether you want to energize, whether you want clarity, you know, they each have their own benefits. Uh, and then there's, um, you might've heard of Wim Hof. He's a pretty trendy dude right now. Uh, and he talks a lot about breath and how you can tap into the breath to kind of override certain physiological responses. Like he's all about cold exposure and ice bath and um, hiking in extreme altitude and extreme weather and just shorts and being able to just breathe through it and keep the body warm. Um, I think he even once injected himself with E. coli and was able to like breathe through the body's response, which is like wild. But I love what he's doing because he's bringing a lot of attention to breath work. Um, he's building a lot of curiosity. He's doing a lot of the kind of research and science. He's more um, focused on the physical benefits. It's almost more like biohacking what he's doing, which is great. Love that. And then what I offer kind of falls a little bit further on the spectrum into these deeper cells of breath work. Um, there are a variety of these deeper techniques in my experience, they have more similarities than differences. And they're generally trying to get you to the same place. It's just breathing in a certain way um, that is going to create healing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I think the number one thing that surprises people is that just by controlling your breath and being intentional. And, you know, when, when I facilitate breath work, people are laying down on their backs, we got pillows, blankets, eye covers, you're comfortable. And then you commit to this technique. And the, the process of this technique really starts to bring in a lot of oxygen, of course, and starts to bring in a lot of new energy. And that just allows you to start um, kind of going within and seeing where you're holding on to old energies, old emotions, old traumas, you know, it could be as simple as stress and anxiety, which most of us have. Uh, oftentimes it's a lot deeper than that. You know, we're going to, to see where you've got these unprocessed emotions or feelings, um, or perhaps there was some hurt in your life and like how that's being held onto in the body and how we can breathe through it and release it. So that's why it was so helpful for me because I was so stuck in that guilt and that shame and that self-hatred. And it was breathwork was the only thing that allowed me to start to kind of get underneath it and move it through and like, and release it and like get it out of my body and move beyond it. Um, and so, yes, for some people, you know, it's, it's different every time you do it and it's different for each person, but it can be an incredibly beautiful subtle 
blissful trance that just feels like an incredible reset for your body, for your nervous system. Sometimes it's a very emotional experience, very vocal, a lot of like expression coming through. Sometimes it can feel psychedelic for sure. There's an awesome um, uh, documentary called DMT Quest by Ben Joseph Stewart, I believe. And uh, when I watched that documentary, I didn't realize they were going to be talking about breathwork, but they do quite a bit. And they're and they're starting to understand that this is one of the ways we naturally produce DMT in the body. And for those of you not familiar with DMT, you know, it's considered the spirit molecule or the God molecule. Like it's can create some of the most, it's the world's strongest psychedelic and create some of the most powerful spiritual experiences. So the fact that we can produce this ourselves and that breath work is one of the ways we can tap into that to me is just like amazing and i've seen it and i've experienced it and this is like why i love this practice so much okay um will you kind of tap into the spiritual side of things for you specifically yeah. because we we talked about catholicism uh mm-hmm. but you said it wasn't until you know recent recent times that you really uh adopted or became more spiritual uh, in in terms of going deeper. So talk about that experience and that journey, please. Yeah. I mean, I would say with, um, with psychedelics and plant medicines and breath work have been like the biggest tools for me to, um, access, uh, more spirituality. And I think because these, these modalities have just allowed me to experience something greater than myself, you know, And, and whether that's through feeling or through, um, visuals, you know, it's kind of hard to put into words what those experiences are like, but they've all shown me like to just think bigger than myself, you know, and to, and to think about us as a collective and to think about energy and how we're all connected and how we're all, um, just trying to do the best jobs that we can. And, uh, for example, my mother passed two years ago and, she very clearly comes to me when I'm in these experiences and it's not like a hallucination. It's not like a fantasy. It's not me willing her to be there. Like it is a very undeniable uh, presence and and, and the ways that she shows up. And I've had other people that I share these experiences with say that unprompted, like, Oh my gosh, I felt your mother. She was there. Like she, she said this or showed me this. And I know that sounds wild, but like, I, it's my truth. Like it's what I've seen. It's what I've experienced. It's what I felt. It's what I know to be true for me. Um, and it gives me so much peace, you know, and so much, um, it's such an ability to kind of trust life and like, uh, you know, I left my advertising career and have committed myself to facilitating breathwork and retreats and, 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 and crystals for people. And, that was so scary. And a big part of this was like, trust, like, can I trust that I can leave this successful career and this big paycheck and these comfy benefits and, and go on my own. And, and if I'm, if my intention is like wanting to help others heal themselves and wanting to do better for others and for, um, and for the world, like, can I trust that I'm going to be supported in that work? And, and as scary as it was, I did it, I took the leap and it's been wonderful. Um, and so, yeah, that's, those are just like some examples of how like this, this evolution and this kind of deeper tapping into my spirituality has, has just been like such a great improvement into my life. And, and I know, like, I'm a big believer in self-care, but self-care to me is like, not just like getting massages or, or, you know, it's, it's being really intentional it's meditating it's journaling it's going on these retreats it's it's trying to be um 
constantly nurturing my spirituality because I know that that then like translates into um, my life just being better and for me being happier and me being a better mother and me being a better businesswoman. And so it all just kind of like wraps up together, you know? Now, and I uh, find when I'm not neglecting those practices, like immediately it starts to show up in, in, in everywhere in my life, you know, that I, I have to stay committed to that. And, um, you know, we talked about morning routines, but I think what's more important than my morning routine is just like, I have this daily commitment of, or I, a daily target, I should say, I have a daily target of 90 minutes of um, something that is nourishing my spirit. And so that's, it's a little bit broad. And, and this was um, a friend of mine who's a, who's an intuitive and a healer kind of prescribed this for me. And at first I was like, well, that's a lot of time to kind of commit to, but I found he's like, but it can be anything that you feel like nourishes your spirit. So maybe it's yoga, maybe it's a bath, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's time in nature. Maybe it's listening to a podcast that you feel like is, is educating you and expanding your consciousness or expanding um, your knowledge. Maybe it's time with your children. And he's like, you can define it any way you want, but it's got to be something that feels like it is helping your own personal growth and helping you nurture yourself. He's like, it's not scrolling through social media. It's not watching TV. You know, it's what are you doing at least 90 minutes a day? And it can, you can add it up and chop it up however you want. But I promise you, if you commit to that, like life is going to be good and it's going to feel good and flow. And, and since I've been, you know, I'm not always successful with it, but that's my target. And I see how much it impacts um, my life and my mental health and my well-being and my positivity. Hmm. Now, what's kind of like your long-term vision, Claudia, for where you're at currently? Like doing the breath work, you mentioned the the crystals, which I saw that on your Instagram. Like, do you have a long-term yeah. vision or uh, goal or whatever word you want to insert there? Yeah. Um, just, I want to kind of get from you what are your future plans or what's the future in terms of where you're going with all this? If you um, are kind of thinking in that direction or are you more just kind of in the present moment? Mm. No, I've been thinking more and more about the future and like what, what what's next, you know, and for me, for my business, for my offerings and my core mission is to help others heal themselves. Um, and so breath work has been a big part of that. Crystals beautifully wrapped into that as well. Retreats, um, are a big way that I do that. Um, I've started training people in breath work uh, and that feels really good, you know, in, instilling in them like a really solid, you know, I think the program I put together is about 300 hours of training. And so that feels wonderful in order to pass that along, that knowledge along, that wisdom along, that ability to facilitate. Um, a goal of mine is to make these types of modalities accessible to everyone, especially communities that like don't have access to this stuff or maybe don't have the financial resources or just kind of underserved. And so um, I've been, as of last year, I started offering sliding scale on all of my offerings, but I do realize that not, not that many people are taking advantage of it. So that's telling me that I'm not giving that message to the right people. Um, or, or maybe I need to kind of tweak the, the messaging around it. So that's kind of the next evolution is like, how can I get this information and this opportunity um, to these underserved communities so that they could take advantage of this fact that like my, my sliding scale policy is so generous. It's just like, whatever you feel like you can afford, beautiful, no questions asked and you're in. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want more people to be able to take advantage of that for sure. And then in terms of um, 
you know, breathwork has been the primary modality that I've been helping people, but a lot of people have been asking me now about um, psychedelics and if that's something that I would start, um, you know, in, in a ceremonial context or in a therapeutic setting, like would I start guiding those types of experiences and then helping with integration? And so I do see that that's something that I'm like, I'm, I'm currently looking for a program um, that calls to me that can help me, you know, become proficient in that area, become more professionally proficient in that area. Okay. Now, um, just for clarification sake, and just so we're all on the same page here, I want you to expound a little bit more. I've had quite a few guests, uh, ironically from the Denver area, uh, that, you know, have come on the podcast and a part of their story is the psychedelic side of things, plant medicine, whatever mm -hmm. the terminology is. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know if those are interchangeable, uh, words, their mm -hmm. terms, but, um, in that vein. So for, for my sake, for other listeners that maybe have heard some of the other guests talk about this, but, uh, mm -hmm. can you kind of clarify, like, cause I know within recent times, Denver has passed some laws or law to make some of this stuff more accessible, more legal, correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. Um, but mm -hmm. just kind of like where, what, what is plant medicine? What, what are the, the psychedelics? Uh, talk about the law laws that were passed recently in Colorado, Denver, like kind of just expound mm -hmm. on that. Cause I, I think there's a lot of, uh, misunderstanding even from, from yeah. myself, what all of this terminology means, what it looks like. Yeah. So if you can kind of break it down for us, uh, in, in layman's terms, uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll speak to the best of my knowledge. Cause I'm not, I don't claim to be an expert by any means, but um, I think psychedelics is a broader term than plant medicines, but they're almost interchangeable. You know, and psychedelics is a substance that you consume to access an altered state of consciousness. And, and that's also what we're doing with breathwork, which I love. But it, with psychedelics, you're, you're using a substance, perhaps like psilocybin mushrooms or LSD or ayahuasca or ibogaine. You know, there's um, several of these um medicines the term plant medicine you know i think uh is pretty popular because it just gives a little bit more reverence it's usually done in in maybe a little bit more of a ceremonial context and usually plant medicine is non uh not synthesized you know it's legitimately coming from a plant or animal source so something that's found in nature um which most of these medicines are but not all of them um like lsd for example was synthesized. Uh, I do believe there you can, it can be made in nature, but that's not how it like became popularized. It became popularized because it was made in the lab and produced. So people are, I think this is gaining a lot of traction right now because there people are seeing the benefits available by accessing these, these medicines that have been classified as, you know, illegal drugs in the seventies. Uh, are now um, being studied and being fast-tracked pretty quickly by the FDA, especially MDMA and psilocybin in regards to the amount of um, benefit that they're seeing treating people with complex PTSD um, or treating people who are end of life, um, who have terminal diagnoses and who are experiencing extreme anxiety as they approach the end of their lives. Um, they've been testing, offering them, you know, a large psilocybin dose with in a therapeutic setting with the right um, people and the right preparation integration and that how much um, 
it eases people, you know, and how much it prepares people for this transition and, and allows them to actually enjoy their remaining time on earth because they're no longer stressed about their death anymore. They're actually um, feel such a sense of, of connection and beauty and oneness that not that they're looking forward to their death, but it just um, is no longer the scary, terrifying thing anymore. And so in Colorado, um, I'm not super well versed on the laws, but I know that we've decriminalized uh, a lot of the psychedelics. So you're no longer in risk of um, being arrested for having them. You know, they're still like, I think they're still trying to define like what quantities and like, I don't think you're still technically allowed to sell it, but you're allowed to have it and you're allowed to gift it. And so I've had, um, I had my five-year anniversary event in September and it was a big undertaking and, and I offered uh, off the record and private, not off the record, privately, I was offering um, people a microdose of psilocybin if they wanted to have that um, complement their experience. And I had spoken to somebody who'd been involved in the legislation and he was like, you can't market it. You can't advertise it. You can't sell it. You can only gift it. Um, but otherwise you're good to go. And I was like, okay, let's try it. And it was a beautiful experience. And I think about 70% of the people who came that evening said yes. And a lot of them were trying it for the first time. And by the way, the microdose is truly a microdose. Like it's oftentimes subperceptible or barely perceptible. So people are not getting high, you know, they're not getting, um, they're not losing control by any means. If anything, it would just be something to just slightly enhance the experience. Um, that's very different from taking, you know, a proper dose where set and setting is ultra important. This is, this is just a little baby, um, enhancement to the experience. So, yeah, I think, uh, Colorado and Oregon seem to be the two states that are at the forefront of this, but other states are catching up pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, and I think I heard that MDMA is probably going to be approved for therapeutic use next year. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Rick Doblin and he heads up MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And they're the ones that are fast tracking these studies or having these stun studies be done and they're being fast tracked because of the incredible results that they're seeing, you know? So um, I think it's uh, very soon going to be an available option that'll be helpful for so many people. Um, I remember one story that Rick shared was about a, a Vietnam vet who struggled, who's basically um, couldn't hold down a job, couldn't like really not functioning at life for 50 years, struggling from complex PTSD and with went into the MDMA trial program and was cured. Like how amazing is that cured of his PTSD and, and able to finally live a functioning life again after 50 years of being you know, incapacitated by the trauma. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful to see what that can do with trauma. But for those people who aren't into psychedelics, it's fine. It's not for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody. You know, there's a lot of people that that is not a good choice for. Um, while I think breathwork can be for everybody, you know, and is breathwork going to give you, you know, the same thing as like two grams of psilocybin? Like, no, no, maybe, I don't know. Um, but it can give you a very safe way of accessing an altered state of consciousness for healing. Um, but one where you remain in control, you know, and you're choosing to breathe in this way. And if you want to choose to back off because it's feeling intense, you can. And do you want to choose to go harder? You can, you know, it's, it's, um, a lot of people come to me who are curious about psychedelics, but not ready to go there. 
um, but they want to start accessing altered states. And this is a beautiful alternative to that. Now, um, several times throughout your story today, uh, Claudia, you've mentioned yoga as something that is mm -hmm. a practice that you, um, you know, partake in on a consistent basis. Is there any other type of movement practices that you incorporate in your, in your life on a regular or consistent basis? I mean, in the winter time, um, I love to snowboard and, um, I try to make it a priority to go once a week, uh, because it's like, I consider snowboarding even it's a movement practice for sure, but it's also like one of the rare forms of play I have in my life. Like I feel like I'm playing when I'm out there in the snow, having an awesome day, even if I'm by myself, like it, it brings me a lot of like childlike joy. And so that's when the season is available. That's something I really prioritize because it just, uh, I find it to be really good for just my overall well being and for my mental health for sure. Um, but yeah, I do lift weights too. That's, that's more for physical benefit rather than mental, but I'm sure there's probably some mental benefits there too. <laughs> cool. Um, talk to me about, uh, motherhood. Uh, you mentioned having kids, yeah. uh, yeah. I'm sure this, uh, personal awakening that you've gone through over the last several years has enhanced and, and made you a, a better mother, I'm assuming. So just talk mm -hmm. about, um, motherhood, talk about this, um, personal awakening, how that's enhanced or made you a better mom. What does that kind of look mm -hmm. like? Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe it's made me a better mother. It's, um, you know, it came at the time when I was going through my divorce. So it, it coincided with this significant change of having them 100% of the time to then having them only 50% of the time, which, you know, as you can imagine, when you have kids, you never imagine you're only going to have them part time. So um, while they were gaining this new, more aware, conscious, loving, um, self-reflective human as a parent, they were also losing me 50% of the time. So there was gain and loss there. But I do think um, understanding myself better and my patterns and my childhood and how it, you know, led to everything that happened and, and even who I am today, like, allows me to be a better mother by, by far from perfect, of course, but like, ah, I'm able to catch myself um, instead of getting lost in certain reactions and certain kind of triggers, like I'm able to catch myself more and more. Um, I'm able to admit when I'm wrong. I'm able to apologize to my children. You know, I think that's super important and I don't think necessarily all of us do, but like, yeah, we mess up and they should know that we're human and we can make mistakes and like the importance of like asking for forgiveness and, and owning when we've made a mistake. Like that's, that's something new. And I think that's, that's valuable for them. Um, you know, I do talk to them a, a lot about breathwork. My daughter has tried breathwork and it was stunning to witness, but I had to wait until she said she was ready for it. My son has is not ready to try it yet. He thinks it's weird. <laughs> um, I do talk to them about like psychedelics and plant medicines. And also because we live in Colorado, you know, so marijuana here is legal. And so um, we talk about that. And I happen to live right off of what is known as the green mile. So we're driving by dispensaries all day, every day. So it's like a topic of conversation and it's something that their friends are talking about. So it's just interesting to have a dialogue with them. Um, even though they're young, um, they're not, you know, they're 14 and 11. So like people are talking about these things and, and, and this is not a dialogue I had with my parents. With my parents, it was like hard, no end of discussion. That's that. But with me, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be, um, more open, just keep the lines of communication open. You know, I went to the uh, 
psychedelic sciences conference that was here in June. And and one of my favorite lectures that I attended was like how to talk to your kids about drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I learned a lot from that. And it's like, just how to keep that, um, keep a sense of safety and trust and like knowing that they're going to be exposed to it probably earlier than you want them to, you know, and they're going to be partaking and like, how can you just be a safe space for them to help? And how can you help educate them and prepare them most so that they hopefully can make the best decisions. Um, and I know that veered off a little bit off topic, but not really because some of these, you know, these um, substances that are going to be available to them, like are substances that are now being used for people to, to heal and to explore their spirituality. So it kind of ties in, you know, this is just, all things that I'm trying to expose them to and have conversations with and, and just try to keep um, that level of open conversation, communication and trust always so that hopefully we can keep, you know, help them make the best choices possible. Um, obviously they're going to make their own mistakes and have to learn from those mistakes, but also trying to be honest um, as much as age appropriate is age appropriate right now? Like I try to be as honest as possible, but my, my mistakes and my choices so that hopefully, you know, I can maybe save them a little bit of heartbreak down the road, but also knowing they just got to go through their own stuff and I'm just going to be there for them as much as I can. What, what is uh, kind of the relationship with your kids' dad look like now that you've kind of gone in this uh, different direction with your life? Mm. So we're excellent co-parents for sure. Um, the break in our relationship definitely uh, was kind of a rock bottom and, and a pivotal moment for both of us. He also, it also started his own um, path of, of self-discovery and self-healing. And, um, you know, we've gone our own different ways, but I'm, I'm very grateful that we are excellent co-parents and agree almost um, for most things we're in agreement on with the kids. And that's awesome. And also it just helps our own interpersonal relationship as well. You know, the fact that we're both doing work separately, not together, um, helps us just have um, better communication and better interactions. You know, of course, not perfect. We still are very good at triggering each other. We're getting better and better at not allowing those triggers to like take us down the old patterns, the old habits, the old fights. Like we're getting better and better just like stepping back. You know, and I've learned so much about myself and like why I was the way I was and why I used to respond to him in certain ways and like my attachment style and his attachment style and like just how all that had such an impact on our relationship and how we used to interact and and knowing all that has helped our current interactions be that much better or that much smoother. Okay. Uh you're you're a, a Denver girl. So what are some of your like favorite go-to places? They can be restaurants it can be hikes i mean denver is just uh endless in terms of all kinds of goodness so uh what, what are yeah, some of your go-tos in the denver area mm, let's see i love the denver botanic gardens i think it's just a nice little hidden gem there and all year round it's got something going on it's just beautiful um i'm in the mountains a lot year round you know my favorite um summertime areas is the jefferson area jefferson lake there's beautiful mushroom foraging that's available there, you know, edible mushrooms or like culinary mushrooms. And that's something my family and I grew up doing. So that's, a, that's a, one of my favorite pastimes is going to forage for mushrooms usually in July or August. Um, let's see. 
we've, we're just barely starting to get some great Peruvian restaurants, which I'm excited about because, <laughs> um, you know, there's not a huge Peruvian population here, but there is a little bit of one. And so I'm always looking for fun international cuisines. You know, we have a, a, a large uh, Ethiopian and Eritrean population here in Denver. Um, and so we've got some amazing restaurants. Uh, I love going out to eat and trying new different foods. And I just went back to, um, I grew up going to Casa Bonita. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they just, the they closed down during COVID and then the founders of South Park bought it and, and redid it and revamped it. And it just opened. And that was so fun. It was like great food, just took me back to being a kid again, um, but new and improved and um, it was such a fun experience. And I took my kids too, of course, and we just absolutely loved it. So that was, that was a good time. Cool. Seen any good concerts at Red Rocks uh, lately? Um, not lately. I think I saw Rufus Dussault there maybe a couple years ago now. And that was one of my top three favorite shows at Red Rocks. I saw Tame Impala there maybe the year before that. Also one of the top shows I've ever seen at Red Rocks. Like I've been to quite a few shows there. Uh, I think my first Red Rock show was Ozzy Osbourne and Slaughter and Ugly Kid Joe when I was like 14 or 15 years old. <laughs> but um, I've seen a lot of shows there in my lifetime, but those are some of the best ones. Okay, yeah. um, we're going to wrap it up here, Claudia. The last kind of topic I want to touch on with you and kind of get your uh, insights and perspective about is uh, social media. Obviously, um, mm. you know, it's kind of in the in the user's hands. Are you going to use it for positive negative or just to kind of like, you know, check out, um, obviously we're having this conversation because of social media, which is super cool, yeah. but, um, social media technology in general has, has changed our culture. It's changed the way that we communicate as human beings. I positively, uh, I think, uh, probably more in terms of the negative than the positive, but that's again, kind of up for interpretation. But social media mm -hmm. technology, what do you kind of, how do you kind of like navigate all of that in your life? Mm, it's interesting. Um, it's been a big part of my business. Like that's what helps people find me and find breath work. And so I, I use Instagram specifically to connect with people. Um, I do, you know, there's, there's pros and cons for sure. It's, it's definitely can be a time suck. I have to be very mindful about that. Um, I personally only engage or follow accounts that are either people that I love, um, people that I find entertaining, like it's funny or something that's like educational or inspirational. Um, so I, I, I feel for the people who struggle uh, with all the comparison and maybe feeling lack. And um, luckily I don't, that's not something that has ever troubled me or, or I just make sure to curate what I'm following so that there's not that need to compare or to um prove anything but it's interesting now with my children you know they my daughter is on tiktok and on snapchat and just trying to find the balance there like um not wanting to not allow her to be on it but trying to give her the tools so that she's not getting sucked in and understanding like how these how these technologies are designed to keep you on them. You know, they're giving you those dopamine hits and they're, and they're designed to just keep you as engaged as long as possible. And so being mindful about that and, and trying to balance it with non-screen time, you know, it's, 
it's a challenge and it's a constant discussion happening in this household. But I do think there can be a lot of a good in social media. Um, but I do think you have to put a lot of boundaries around it and, and, and be careful and mindful with how and what you're consuming. Um, just one other quick thing, kind of like, yeah. you know, because a lot of people go to social media, uh, you know, for some sort of like connection or, or, or what have you now going back to kind of like the, the breath work that you do, have you, have you found like for yourself, a community within that breath work community? And then how powerful is the community aspect of breath work and, and, and you being, you know, this facilitator of breath work, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've used social media con to connect with other breathwork facilitators around the world. And, and that's been um, valuable for me in terms of just like um, understanding what other people are talking about or how they're handling things or what they're educating on or what they're choosing to educate themselves on. So I like that. I like that um, way of having just kind of a global network of people that our common thread is that we love and facilitate breathwork. So that's been beautiful. Uh, and then I've seen uh, community grow around the breathwork that I offer here in Denver, you know, and, and some of that is using social media as a connection. And some of that is just the regularity that people are coming and seeing each other and seeing familiar faces and starting to support each other in their healing and starting to care about each other when they see um, somebody processing something big. So that's been really beautiful when I, you know, I mentioned my five-year anniversary event that I had in September. Um, we had about 120 people and I would say 70 to 80% of those were people who had already been regularly coming to breathe with me. Very few of them are new. And so I was so, it was so touching for me to see that so many familiar faces, but also so touching to see the interactions happening amongst everybody because they were familiar with each other, you know, and it had created community around this core desire to um, use breath work as the modality that they're using to heal and to explore and to, and to evolve with. So that's been really um, wonderful for sure. But I struggle with social media. You know, I think it's, a, I, it's that balance of like trying to keep it educational and informative and sometimes entertaining too. Like I try to do something funny once a week. Um, but also as a promotion tool, like this is how I let people know what I'm doing, what my offers are, when I'm offering groups and um, balancing that, you know, cause I don't want it to seem like super salesy, you know, or just like pushy. I, I want it. I want people to, to enjoy the content and feel like, um, it's either uplifting or educational or, you know, there's been some value that I want people to gain value and, and not just have it be, um, a sales tool. Yeah. Where, where do you, uh, where do you do this breath work at? Like, do you have a brick and mortar or do you do at like uh, a gym mm. or something? Like, where is it located or how do people get connected with you to do the breath work in the Denver area? Yeah. So either through Instagram or my website are the best ways to see what I've got going on. Uh, I offer private sessions out of my home. I have a little studio in my my home space where I'm doing my one-on-one -on -one work. Um, but otherwise for groups, I'm partnering with different locations around the city. And I've got like, depending on the month, four or six groups um, happening around the Denver metro area. For example, I'm at Cosmic Tea Holistic Shop down in the DTC area. Uh, I oftentimes am at Urban Sanctuary or the Archipelago Club or Revive Body Works. Um, I've got a new partnership happening with um, Invisible City clubhouse studios that's kicking off um in a couple weeks so yeah i've got the, my different locations that um i'm regularly at 
And so kind of depending on people and their schedule and, and what vibe they're looking for, they usually on average are coming to see me once or twice a month. That's usually the cadence that people want to do this deeper style of breath work. So, yeah, I also offer virtual work as well. So for anybody who's not in the Denver area, um, I have virtual groups and I do virtual private sessions as well. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Claudia, I think we're going to uh, yeah. wrap it up there before I do a quick outro and I get everybody out of here today. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, um, sharing your story, sharing your insights in terms of breath work and uh, just kind of walking us through um, this awakening that you've gone through. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, again, I just kind of want to give you an opportunity if you feel like there's something that you just really want to share with with all of us, uh, something mm -hmm. you want to put out there. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you again. Uh, why don't you give us like your Instagram? What's your website? If people want to connect yeah. connect with you, what's the what's the best way? So I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll do a quick outro and then we'll get out of here. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Um, the easiest way to connect with me is either through my website and that's uh, www.amarsi.love, L-O-V-E, or my Instagram, which is amarsi.claudia. Um, I'm, those are the both most up-to-date and most direct ways of understanding what I'm doing and, and connecting with me as well. I'm very responsive in both of those areas. Um, I've got the breathwork groups. I've got private sessions. I do virtual. I do in person. Uh, and I've got a couple of retreats coming up, which I'm really excited about. And both of them are retreats that I've done before that were really beautiful and successful that I'm repeating. So one is at Joyful Journey Hot Springs here in the mountains of Colorado. Um, February 2nd through the 4th. And so it's three days, two nights, and we'll be doing breathwork sessions and ice bath and cacao and dance uh, with lots of times to enjoy their mineral rich hot springs. So that's one of my favorite places to be. And then I'm going back to um, Chemuil, Mexico, which is just about 20 minutes outside of Tulum with um, my dear friend, Elizabeth, who's an incredible uh, intuitive and psychic. And we have put together an awesome experience that involves um, breath work, you know, an optional microdose. We're doing breath work in a cave. We're doing breath work on a roof, rooftop. We're doing yoga. She's doing all kinds of beautiful um, guided sessions in terms of like telling you what your year is going to be like or what's going on for you or helping you um, access your your guides and soul contracts. Like it's, it's we go to the beach. We're going to do a fire ceremony. We do Temescal, which is a traditional Mayan sweat lodge. I mean, there's so it's it's an action packed self work, self discovery. Um, really going deep experience. I'm excited for that. That's May 1st through the 5th. So those are the two things that I'm super stoked about um, in the coming uh, in the coming months. Um, in addition to all the other offerings I'm having. So thank you for letting me share about those. Yeah. And so- Oh, and training as well. Like that's, that's, that's something that's really evolved in the last three years. And uh, I'm really proud of the program that I've put together. And then the, the people who have completed it so far have, are, are coming out as really gifted facilitators. So I'm excited to continue that. Um, and so, so the best way for somebody, if they just want to reach out to you, maybe a part of your story resonated with them. Uh, yeah. Claudia is, is Instagram. You've just, somebody reaches out to you through Instagram. Is that a, a, a great way to connect with you? If they just want to yeah. reach out. You can DM me whenever you'd like, or if you go on my website, there's a place where you can drop in, um, you know, your email and a, and a question and I'll get back to you. Or there's also a place where you can schedule um, a free 15 minute call with me as well. So if you just want to jump on the phone and dive deep with some questions, I am always available for that. Awesome. All right. Thank you again, uh, Claudia, for coming on. I'm going to do a, 
a quick outro and then we'll uh we'll get you out of here so thank you so much okay thank you so much all of you who are tuning in to another episode of curious and candid i just want to say thank you so very much um if you guys want to connect with me i would love to connect with you there's a couple places that we connect first of all instagram uh, curious and candid podcast you can just reach out send me a dm we'll we'll take it from there um if you uh, want to send me an email please send me an email at curious and candid podcast at gmail.com and then before you guys uh, wrap up uh before we wrap up this conversation here uh today with claudia if you do me a huge favor please subscribe to curious and candid on itunes leave us a five-star rating review that would be greatly appreciated. And if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you you can check out my personal website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And we'll catch you guys next time on Curious and Candid.